of worship. Um, let's just bow our heads. And let's just seek God this morning. And I'd like to ask you to just, just praise the Lord this morning in your heart. Give him the praise for his mercy, his goodness, his grace, salvation, the word that counsels us. And let's just seek our own, search our own hearts this morning. Just ask God to reveal any sin that might be holding you back from hearing what he has to say. Any guilt you might be holding from yesterday, that was yesterday. His mercies are new this morning. You can't change the past, but you can start anew today. And let's just ask God to visit us today. Ask God to anoint us with his Holy Spirit. Ask God to move over the chairs, move over our hearts, and to really speak to us this morning. To refresh us anew of the reality of who he is, of his love, his power, his mercy, his grace to us. We don't have to live in the past and we don't have to live in guilt. We don't have to believe the lies of the accuser. Lord, make yourself known to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Jeremiah chapter 1, beginning in verse 4 and 5. This is my life verse. Jeremiah chapter 1, 4 and 5. Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee. And I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. What I see here is God coming to Jeremiah. He says, Jeremiah, before I formed you in the belly, I knew you. I know there's a lot of stuff going on in the world and politics today. And and I tell you what, you look at me, I'm telling you, I was born two months premature. And my mother chose to give birth to me. And she put me in an incubator at that time, a cardboard box. And she fed me with an eyedropper because I weighed like two pounds. And here I am standing before you, a man, a human being created in the image of God and his likeness for his purpose and his glory. Before I formed you in the belly, I knew you, God says. I have a plan and a purpose for you. And what I see here is the very sovereignty of God as he's speaking to Jeremiah. He says, before I formed you in the belly, I knew thee. God's a sovereign God. And because a God is a sovereign God, he knows all things. And because God's a sovereign God and he knows all things and he controls all things, God makes no mistakes. It was the Vietnam War in 1967. It was a a terrible time in U.S. history. Our American servicemen went to Thailand, or excuse me, went to Vietnam, fought a battle they they couldn't win, fought an enemy they couldn't see. And even some uh, servicemen today might even ask the question, could anything good come out of the Vietnam War? 1967, an American serviceman went and was stationed in Thailand during the Vietnam War, and he met a young woman by the name of Sung Win Prom Thi. They gave birth to a, a boy by the name of Wesheon Prom Thi. Here he's about three years old in this school picture. 
But when that boy was about a year old, that American serviceman abandoned that Thai woman and that boy there in Thailand. But in God's sovereignty, that woman met another serviceman. And he adopted that Thai boy, Wechayun, and he brought them to America. And Harry Weber, my stepdad, adopted me and changed my name to Ed Weber. And I look back on the sovereignty of God, and I see how God, in his sovereignty, took me out of a Buddhist country, Thailand being about 95% Buddhist, and took me out of Thailand so I could come to America and hear the gospel. Before, the, uh, before I formed the belly, I knew thee, God's a sovereign God. He makes no mistakes. Before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctify thee. God is the God who saves us and sets us apart. I, wasn't, uh, I didn't have much Christian influence growing up. My, my dad, an alcoholic, my stepdad, Harry's alcoholic. I just went to an AA meeting with him a couple weeks ago. And uh, he didn't really hug me much growing up, didn't tell me, son, I love you. The only thing I saw him pick up was a beer bottle. I grew up in Bangor, Michigan, and he would take me to Bangor Tavern, and he would give me quarters and feed me. I would feed the pinball machine for two or three hours as he drank himself into a drunken stupor. Then he would drive us home. My mom, a Buddhist to this day, I didn't see much love growing up from her. I don't think she never hugged me. I've never said, son, I love you. And so I didn't think I had much love growing up in my home. But in God's sovereignty, you're going to hear a repetitive ring here. In God's sovereignty, a public school teacher in Bangor by the name of Dr. Howard Wood picked me up every Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, and took me to Hartford Federated Church in Hartford, Michigan, where I could hear the gospel. And it was during an evangelistic meeting during a youth retreat one night where a man was preaching how all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death, physical and spiritual separation from God for all eternity. But the gift of God, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And when I heard that, I, I, when he said, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, I knew I was a sinner. You see, my mom, if she was here, here with you today, she would tell you this story. She loves to tell people this story. When I was about three years old, the picture of the boy and, and, and dressed in white in a school attire, when I was about three years old, I asked my mom to peel an apple. And she said she wasn't ready to peel that apple, that she had to go to the bathroom, and she'd come out, and uh, she'd peel the apple when she was finished. But, you know, she came out of the bathroom, and I was holding my mom's favorite kitchen knife. To this day, she still has that knife in her drawer. Fifty years she's had that knife. And I was holding my mom's favorite kitchen knife, and she comes out of the bathroom, and she sees me holding a knife, and blood is just oozing down my arm. And my mom's thinking, what did my son do? Did he try to peel the apple himself? He couldn't wait? No. See, over here on this side of the house, I had punctured 20-plus holes in my mom's favorite couch. (laughs) And over here, laying on this side of the house, was a bleeding cat. No, it was, it was okay. It was a cat. It wasn't a dog. You know, it's okay. And, uh, no, I, I've got nothing against cats. I just don't want one against me. You know? And you know, your dog, you can kick a dog. You can starve a dog. And the dog's like, I love you, I love you. I love you. But a cat is like, you want to pet me? You come here. But I've got nothing. It's not about the cat or the dog. It's about the fact that at three years old, because I didn't get what I wanted, when I wanted it, how I wanted it, I was willing to kill for it. And my sin nature came up. And the Bible says that our hearts are wicked and deceitful above all things. Who can know it? And if it wasn't for the grace of God and me getting saved, I went forward that night and I said, I don't want to go to hell. I could be a murderer. 
I said, what must I do to get saved? He said, you, you repent of your sin and ask Jesus to save you. And I went forward that night at Hartford Federated Church, and I asked Jesus Christ to save me. I didn't know the repercussions of that prayer. I didn't know what God had in store for me. My mom and dad got divorced. I went and lived with my grandparents on my stepdad's side. My grandmother took me in, my grandmother and grandfather. But at age 17, I came home one day, and all my clothes were packed, and every, all my belongings were packed in boxes, and grandma said, get out. And here I was abandoned a second time. What does a young man do in a situation like that? In God's sovereignty, there was a couple at Hartford Federated Church who, uh, uh, Bob and uh, uh, Teddy Tucker, and they said, Ed, just come live with us. And they had two sons, an older son named Bobby and a younger son named Billy. Now, Bobby, he, was, uh, he had just joined the United States Marine Corps. He was getting ready to go to boot camp, and he knew that if he recruited two guys, he would get promoted. So Bobby recruited me. Some friend he was. I spent four years in the United States Marine Corps, away from God, never stepped foot in the church, graduated from high school, and joined the Marine Corps with Billy. Never stepped foot in the church. Got away from the Lord. But in God's sovereignty, I ended up back in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. I was working in a factory, and I had everything I thought a young person would want. A good job, cars, car, money, uh, TV, VCR, everything I thought a person would want. But I would go, VCR, what is that? Some of you are saying, you know. Back then, it was the, it was the bomb, kids. <laughs> and, uh, but I had all this electronic stuff, and I'd go home at night, I'd stare at the ceilings, and I was empty inside. And I was watching, quote-unquote, Christian television, and they were sharing how they were serving God, and God was blessing them. And I thought, wow, this is what I'm missing in my life. I've walked away from the Lord for four years. In God's sovereignty, Calvary Baptist Church was Kitty Corner across from my apartment, Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Some of you might know Dr. Gary Chapman, who wrote The Five Love Languages. He's the associate pastor there. He's still there. And it was August 26, 1990. I went over to that church, and they were showing a slide presentation. Yes, slides back then, of how they went, they went on a missionary trip to Africa, about 30 people, and how uh, they were showing how people came from miles around to hear about Jesus. And I remembered what I was taught in Awana in Sunday school class, and I remembered, wow, I remember Jesus speaking on the shores of Galilee. Listen, do not neglect your young people. God reminded me of those things he taught me as a child. And I remember Jesus in the shores of Galilee, and people would come to hear for miles around for Jesus and then in Africa. And I thought, wow, this is the love of God reaching out to people. And I said, Lord, teach me how to love like this. And someone was singing a song by an artist by the name of Steve Green. And they had this course they were singing, To love the Lord our God is the heartbeat of our mission, the spring from which our service overflows. And as I began singing that song, it was like, and I believe in the Holy Spirit. Where are you, Katie? I believe in the Holy Spirit. She reminded me yesterday how many times I said that. I believe in the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit of God spoke to my heart. I said, Ed, that's right. You don't know how to love yourself. You don't know how to love your friends. You don't know how to love your family. You don't know how to love others because you don't know how to love me. And that night I said, Lord, teach me how to love. And on August 26, 1990, I did something I never did before as a Christian. I, I prayed in my pew, and I said, Lord... Whatever you would have me do with my life, Lord, I give it to you 100%. What I didn't realize was I was putting Romans 12.1 into action. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable form of worship, your reasonable service. And what I realized there in the Greek, that, that word present is like a military term. I understood that being a former Marine because we would go before our commander. Sir, Lance Corporal Weber reporting his orders, sir. At ease. 
And the officer of the day would give us the commands of what he wanted us to do that day. And it didn't matter what he said. We went ahead and we didn't. We, we didn't question it. We didn't uh, 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 deny it. We just went and we did what he told us to do, and we were willing to die for it. Amen. And, you know, and I, I realized something. I joined the United States Marine Corps because Bobby recruited me. But I also joined the United States Marine Corps because I liked that Marine Corps dress blues uniform. I mean, I really, I mean, if you served in Army Green or Navy, uh, Popeye White or Air Force Blue, God bless you. Thank you for serving. But I wanted to wear that Marine Corps uniform. But, you know, when we got into boot camp and it was kill, kill, kill. And, you know, I realized something. I, I, wanted to, I joined the Marine Corps because I wanted to wear the uniform. But I realized whenever our commander in chief said go and whatever he wanted us to do, we would go. We wouldn't ask questions. We'd get it done and we were willing to die for it. Right. And then I realized something. I wonder how many Christians sit in their church wearing the uniform. But they've never said, Lord... I present myself for duty. Wherever you'd have me to go, whatever you'd have me to do, I'll do it for you, Lord. And I'm willing to die for it. You see, Christianity is not a game. People are dying and going to hell. And God says, let's not wear the uniform. Present yourself for duty. And I did that on August 26, 1990. I said, Lord, whatever you have me do in my life, Lord, I give it to you 100%. Three months later, I found myself at Piedmont Baptist College in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Should have never prayed that prayer. I spent eight years at Piedmont Baptist College uh, just learning about the things of God. And just, uh, just it was all new to me. And, and, and failing in my finances, my faith, my future. I mean, I was, my grades. And you know, you know you spent too much time in Bible college when your fellow student graduates, gets a master's degree, and comes back and teaches you your senior year. <laughs> You know if you've spent too much time in Bible college. But God had a lot to teach me. I wasn't too bright. God had a lot to show me. You know, when we joined our second mission agency, they said, we want your transcripts from Piedmont Baptist College. I thought, I looked at my wife, I said, if they're going to accept me based on my transcripts, I think, I think I've failed 50% of my classes. I got my transcript back. I passed 51% of my classes. (laughs) But I had a lot of things to learn. God had a lot of things to teach me. And at Piedmont, I said, Lord, I want to serve you. Lord, Lord, please show me what you want me to do with your life. Lord, show me. I want to serve you. Show me, Lord, what you want me to do with your life. I tell you what, you pray a prayer like that, young people, God is not going to let you down. (coughs) You pray a prayer like that, middle-aged people, God is not going to let you down. I'm 50, so I don't know where I fit. But you pray a prayer like that, older people, God is not going to let you down. And I said, Lord, I just want to serve you. But the problem at Piedmont, and you know, and I, I, I was telling God sort of what I wanted to do in my life. Lord, I want to serve you. But the problem at Piedmont Baptist College is there was three degrees, pastoral, missionary, and educator. And I said, Lord, I want to serve you, but please don't call me to be a pastor, a missionary, or an educator. (laughs) I'm doing all three on the mission field. Don't tell God what you're not going to do. But you know what? God knows us better than we do. God knows our capabilities better than we do. God knows our hearts better than we do. Did you know that? You think you know who you are? God knows you much better. 
You tell yourself, I can't do that. God knows if you can or can't. And in his power, he can do it with you and through you. So I prayed, Lord, I want to serve you. Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. God is the sovereign God. He makes no mistakes. Before thou camest from the womb, I sanctify thee. God is the one who saves us, sets us apart. And I ordain thee. God's the one who calls us for service. I was praying, Lord, show me what you want me to do in my life. My mom called me from Michigan and said, Ed, how would you like to go back to Thailand and, and, and meet the family? And I was my grandmother and stuff. And I thought, you know, that's, that's mom's family, but that's not my family. I don't know them. But I had prayed, Lord, show me what you would like me to do in my life. So I go to Thailand with my mom. And I get to Thailand and I see people doing something I never saw people doing before here in America. I saw people bowing down and worshiping a statue. And I saw this and I said, Lord, this is wrong. John chapter 4 says we serve a, a living God and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Lord, this is wrong. Someone has to teach these people. I believe in the Holy Spirit. And right then and there, the Holy Spirit tapped me on the shoulder and said, Ed, that's right. I want you. I said, wait a minute, Lord, you got the wrong guy here. I'm I'm, I'm failing out of Bible college. I I can't even speak the language. Lord, are you sure you got the right guy? Ed, I want you. I said, Lord, I don't know about this. And it wasn't just Thai people bowing down and worshiping a statue. It was my grandmother. It was my aunts and uncles. It was my 30-plus cousins. It's my mom. It's my mom. And I went back to Piedmont and I struggled for three years. Lord, do you really want me to be a missionary in Thailand? I met some missionaries in Thailand, had a chance to go back, and two things happened that summer that changed my life. I went on a short-term trip. We were crossing the Burmese border. We were, uh, border patrol and security guards were getting on the bus, and I had a Thai translator with me, and, and they were checking everyone's passport and IDs. And like I said, I'm not a very bright person, college student, traveling the world, no ID on me. <laughs> it's back at the room. Eddie, you look Burmese. They're going to ship you across the border. I hope not. They got on the bus, and I'm sitting, Lord, what are, you, what are they going to do with me? And they were checking everyone's passports. They got to my friend. They said, who's he? And they said, he's American. They said, oh, okay. And then I went down to Bangkok, and I was trying to buy a Thai silk shirt like this, and the missionary said I should pay, pay about $8, $8 for it, 160 baht. And being the poor college student I was, I didn't want to pay that much, so I'm trying to bargain, and I just couldn't get the price I wanted. And it was, I think it was miraculous that day. I didn't hardly know any Thai, and I couldn't get the price I wanted. I said, I said, excuse me, I'm not a foreigner. My mom's Thai. And the lady gave me a rock-bottom price. And I went back to the missionaries, and they said, how would you pay, $8, 160 baht? I said, no, 120. She said, we've been here 30 years, and we can't get a 120 baht a shirt. We have to buy about 30 or 50 of them. How'd you get it so cheap? I said, I said, I'm not a foreigner. And I realized something about Ed Weber that summer. Ed, you don't know your biological father, but you know your heavenly father. And God makes no mistakes. Folks, I was born a product of sin by an act of sin into a sinful world, a sinful man. But God saved me. And God wants to use me. And you know what? He wants to use you too. God's service isn't just for the pastor or the deacon or the missionary. Jesus said, once you receive the Holy Ghost, you will be my disciples. 
And you will be my witnesses. That's for everybody. For all of us to grow in the body of Christ. All of us are to grow to a point to where we can disciple someone else. That's God's plan for us. Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. God's a sovereign God. He makes no mistakes. Before thou camest forth out of womb, I sanctified thee. God's the God that sets us apart. I ordained thee. God's call on an individual's life. And then I went to Thailand, a prophet unto the nation, service for God. My wife and I have been in Thailand for 18 years. We began uh, uh, church planning, traditional church planning. And I figured, you know, I'm going to go to Thailand and I'm going to start a church with a bunch of adults. Well, I'll tell you what, in Thailand, the oldest male in every home has to shave his head, become a Buddhist monk, and go into the temple to make merit for his parents. So it's very hard to turn the adults. You have to turn the cult. They have to give up their culture, their family. So I remember we, we passed English as a second language, tracks out free English, because they're not going to come to church if you invite them to church, but they will come for English. So we hand out our flyers Saturday, first door of ministry. We live in our church, first day of ministry. We live in our church, and it's got like four shop doors. We live on the second floor, been living in our church for 18 years. How would you like that? We never leave church. Some of you can't wait to get home. My home is the church. <laughs> Open up them shop doors. Saturday morning, 60 kids standing there. I was like, wow. Sunday, first day of church, first day of ministry. Open up the shop doors. 70 kids standing there. I said, Lord, we've got children's church. Lord, I'm not a children's pastor. God said, you are now. <laughs> I said, but Lord, I can't stand kids. (laughs) And God said, you're going to love them. "Uh Uh-uh. So what I did was, we live on the second floor, I installed this fire alarm school-type doorbell so that we could hear on the second floor. Well, the next Saturday, I tell the kids to come to English class at 2.30, 7 a.m., I'm shocked out of bed. My wife's asked, like, honey, what was that? That was that doorbell you installed. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. Oh, man. She said, you better go check that out. I get dressed. I go downstairs, missionary, filled with the Holy Spirit of God. <laughs> I open up the doors, and there's three kids standing there, seven in the morning. And I'm thinking, I'm going to eat you up and spit you out. <laughs> Why are you here? And they look at me, five-year-old, four-year-old, six-year-old. There's nobody at home. What do you mean there's nobody at home? There's nobody at home to watch over you, protect you, take care of you? There's there's nobody at home. Can we come in and play? Come on. The Holy Spirit of God said, Ed, you're going to love them. Not right now, Lord. And over the years, God has just brought us children. Just brought us children. And about eight years ago, we decided maybe God wants us to reach the next generation. Satan's getting in here again. 
God wants to reach us to reach the next generation. And before we knew it, uh, our pastor came and said, what are you thinking? I said, I'm thinking Christian school. Well, why are you thinking that? Well, our church has a Christian school, right? He said, and, and he said, what about your church? What's going on in your church? I said, well, we've got girls, 13, 15 years old. They don't have parental guidance, and they're, they're going and living with their boyfriends, and they're pregnant, and these are girls right in our church, and we're just seeing this happen over and over, and we don't know what to do. And, and, and he said, well, Ed, why don't we start a home for at-risk girls? And I thought, well, if that's what God wants us to do, sure, I'll do that. Make a long story short, two and a half years later, God brought in $120,000 and gave us the property for our first Hope House. And now we have, this picture shows eight, but we just rescued one two months ago, nine beautiful young ladies who have come from various backgrounds because they have no hope, and now they live in the Hope House of Cabinbury. And now we're here on furlough this six months trying to raise 150000 in the next six months. Um, excuse me. Okay. We, what? Okay. Trying to go back. Could be my fault. So if you look over on the left corner where that tree is, the big trees, there's three and a half acres there we're trying to develop now. And we're here to try to raise $150,000 for the next church building like this community center. Hey, I can do, I can do two floors for 100000 And then we want to do uh, uh, two more homes and staff houses. And we're like, Lord, I'm just trusting God in the next six months to bring in $150,000 so we can expand. Now, let me tell you about that land. That land, my mother, the Buddhist, who I try to witness to, calls me up from Michigan to mock God. And she calls me up and she says, Eddie, do you still want to do a children's home or a Christian school for God? I said, yeah, Mom, I think that's what God wants me to do. Well, if you wait on God, you're never going to see it happen. He's not going to give you property, so I'm going to buy you three and a half acres. (laughs) Wow. And over here in this corner, we now have three and a half acres that we want to develop for God's glory. So we're praying and you know what? Now that we have the Hope House, you know, three years ago when we started the license, the government, we're, we're with the government, and the government social welfare said, we don't have anything like this in existence in our province. You're the first to even want to try this. We don't know how to do it. We'll help you. You have to be patient. After three years, we finally got the license. And the first girls we had to find. We had our foundation up north who helped us, and we found some girls. But we, now that we have the license, whatever we build, they will fill. So now our desire is to build a facility for 200 kids. But you know what we don't have? Pray ye the Lord of the harvest would send forth laborers. We don't have anyone to come help us. We want to build a boys' home, two boys' homes, three boys' homes. We want 200 kids to rescue and be the next leaders in Thailand, and nobody is coming to help us. Pray the Lord of the harvest would send forth laborers. Maybe God would speak to you to come help us and give your life to raise up the next generation in Thailand. We're so excited with what God's doing, and we're getting ready to go from Hope House to Village of Hope. Could anything good come out of the Vietnam War? I opened up with that question. You know what? I'm nothing special. But you know what I've learned? I've learned that all things work together for good to them that love God. Them are called according to his purpose. But you know... It seems like God's doing some amazing things in our lives and doing some amazing... But, you know, it's been a long haul. I've had to learn some things throughout this process. My, my dad abandoned me. 
My mom, 10 years ago, when I was in Thailand, taking her to the dentist, and I'm driving her to the dentist, my wife's in the back seat, my mom looks at me and says, Eddie, if you weren't born, my life would have been so much better. You're just a burden to me. You know what? I forgave my mom. And I witnessed to my mom. And I pray for my mom. And I go over there and I love my mom. And every time she verbally abuses me, I just walk away and say, God, do a work in her heart. And one thing I had to learn, my dad abandoned me. My mom abusive to me. I had to learn to forgive. And it wasn't easy. I want to tell you a story. 19, uh, I found this on the internet about three years ago. This man's name is Jeff Risley. About 1991, he was in Sperling, Illinois. He uh, went down the street, picked up a six-year-old girl named Kayla, put her in his pickup truck, drove her to a barn, and then had his way with her. And then he strangled her with an electric cord. Now, I know that sounds pretty gruesome, but let me explain to you why I'm sharing that story with you. My wife and I, we went to get some counselor training, uh, biblical counseling training in Lafayette, Indiana, because we want to be better prepared to counsel people. So we went to get training. And I went to learn how to counsel people with the word of God, and I walked out of that first session that night counseled. You see, my wife looked at me because this guy, Jeff Risley, who confessed to molesting 18 children and was put on death row, I was one of his victims as a child. And my wife looked at me that night, and she said, you have not forgiven that man. I said, yes, I have. She says, no, you have not forgiven that man. She says, it affects every area of your life. It affects affects our marriage. It affects intimacy. It affects many areas of our lives. And you have not forgiven him. And I said, yes, I have. And then she asked me a question. She said, hon, how many times have you thought of, or how often have you thought of that event since that man did that to you, since that day? And I had to look at my wife in the face and in all honesty say, every single day of my life. My wife said, you have not forgiven him. And I realized, you know, forgiveness is a commandment from God. It's not a choice. And you might say, well, the guy isn't asking for forgiveness. Well, Jesus stood on the cro- was up on the cross and said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Nobody came and asked for forgiveness. He was our example. And I remember just just kneeling at my bed that night saying, Lord, you command me to forgive. I want to forgive him, but I don't have the power to do it. And he doesn't deserve it. And I believe in the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit of God said, Ed, neither do you. You know, his sin was no worse than mine. And when I came off out of that bed... And I said, God, I forgive him. The peace, the burden that was lifted, all the years of being enslaved from that event. And God lifted that burden and healed me. And I believe God has the power to do that. You know, Matthew chapter 5, of course, he's talking to the Israelites. But he says, therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and you remember that you have, you have ought against your brother, you're mad at somebody, you've got a, a conflict, 
Leave there the gift before the altar and go your way. Don't even come back and think you're going to sacrifice to God and worship God. Be reconciled to your brother and then come and give your offering. You know, we can apply that right here to church. Don't even come in here and think that you're mad at someone across the hallway or mad at someone at work or mad at your wife for not communicating, mad at someone in church here, and you think you can come and give God worship. He says, get out of here. Go fix it. Because worship isn't coming in the church on Sunday and singing praises to God and listening. Worship is what we do 24 hours, 24-7, every hour, every minute, every second in giving ourselves as a living sacrifice to God and obeying the commands of Christ. That's worship. Husbands, likewise, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers be not hindered you've got a conflict with your wife you've got a conflict with your spouse don't even think God's going to answer your prayers you're hindering your prayers by having conflict in your marriage how can you expect God to bless you to the uttermost forgiveness God has taught me how to forgive and you know what I've learned from all this How could what have happened to me have been a good thing? All things work together for good, you say, Ed. Well, it taught me that God is the healer of the brokenhearted. It's God the one that heals our hearts. You think you're going to heal your own heart when someone abuses you, accuses you, abandons you, uh, verbally abuses you, and tells you you're of no worth? You think you're going to heal your own heart? What you're going to do is you're going to put bandages on it, but the wounds are still there, and they're not going to heal. Only God can do that. It taught me how to forgive. Divine miracle is only possible with God's help. It taught me to love my enemy. When I read that article, I wasn't angry at that guy. I wasn't bitter anymore. I prayed for that guy. And I said, Lord, bring him a gospel witness while he's on death row. Bring him a gospel witness while he's in prison. It taught me to love my enemy. It taught me that vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. And he did get convicted. And we are to trust our court system to do the job, but sometimes it fails, right? Well, when it fails, it's still up to God. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. And it taught me that uh, I could use whatever has happened, whatever experiences I've, I've come through in my life in order to be an encouragement to others. I think Paul Tripp said we are uh, uh, redeemers in the master's hands, I believe. It's the book, uh, uh, we're broken people, redeeming and helping broken people. Redeeming and helping broken people. Eight girls we've rescued now. Uh, The one on the left, abandoned at birth. Uh, Other five, four sisters, five brothers up north. Mom and dad put in prison for 30 years, 25 years. One girl, her her, her mom's dying of diabetes, and the the boyfriend would beat them up, and they would lock themselves in the closet. And then they'd they'd, they'd come out, and the, the missionary said, can you help her? Another one, her mom has, has, has no documentation whatsoever and uh, has no job or anything. Can you help her? And now God is taking all those things I've experienced that I've given over to him. Because, you know, when you forgive, you release the debt. That personal, you release the debt. A prisoner's debt. For instance, let's say your pastor, he does something you don't like. Or, oh, the pastor didn't come and visit me today. And, and you're mad at the pastor and you don't forgive him. He can go and he can minister to someone else, but he can't come and minister to you because you put him in a prisoner's debt. But when you forgive, you release that debt. That's the magic of forgiveness. And now God is using us 
uh, with these eight girls. What about you? God's a sovereign God. He makes no mistakes. He's a God who saves. He wants to save you. And for those who uh, profess Christ, have you presented yourself for duty? Or are you just playing the game? Just wearing the uniform? Maybe there's someone in this room and you just, you just need to forgive someone. And you need to forgive them because not only because God commanded it, but because it frees you. It releases you from that enslavement. It releases you from that hurt. So that you can be all you can be with God's help for his glory. That's the amazing thing about forgiveness. It makes you better. And it frees you from that enslavement. Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. God's a sovereign God. He makes no mistakes. Before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified you. I saved you. I set you apart. He's the God who saves us, sets us apart. I ordained you. God's the one who calls us. A prophet unto the nations in order that we might serve him. What I'm going to do right now is I'm just going to, that's my challenge. Maybe you need to get saved. Maybe you need to forgive somebody. Maybe you just... God's calling you to do something, and you've been running away from it for years. And God wants to do something amazing in your life. But if you're enslaved and hurting because of what someone did, you can't be all God wants you to be. God wants to free you, too. So as pastor comes and gives the invitation, what I'm simply going to do is I'm just going to pray for you. For whatever decision you need to make, and I'll be up here, and you can come talk to me or the pastor. But that's how we're going to end the invitation. Why don't you bow your heads with me, would you please? You know, it, it, it just seems to me that there's just a lot of different ways that God could use this testimonial message we've just heard. Um, just the reality of the sovereignty of God over our lives and taking even our brokenness and using it to shape us and mold us into what he wants us to be and then surrendering our lives to him and being useful to him in his service for this building of his church and for missions, this whole matter of forgiveness that needs to be dealt with. I don't know how the Spirit of God is convicted or tugged at your heart today. All of the different missionaries that are with us, the the needs that are represented here are immense. Even what Ed shared about their needs for buildings, for personnel, for property, Maybe God wants to use your resources in a whole new way to lay up treasure in heaven by investing in these things. So I don't know how God needs to use this in your life. Is today a moment of surrender for service? A moment of surrender for your resources? A moment of surrender for your children, releasing them to God's will? A moment of surrender for bitterness and lack of forgiveness and things that are a trap, a debtor's prison in your life that you need to deal with once and for all. I don't know. Why don't you just ask God to show you right now how he wants you to respond to this powerful word we've just heard.
Will you stand with me, please? And I'll close in prayer as we're dismissed and as guys stay and stack up the chairs. If you'd like to have Ed pray with you, maybe particularly concerning this area of forgiveness that he touched on at the end of his message. You recognize in his story that here's a guy who's had to deal with a lot of really injustice and sinful behavior. Maybe there's some things that you can relate to in your own life. Why don't you come and speak with him? Let him pray with you. Maybe God can use today as a point of healing in your life. As a church, uh, let's not settle for, for lesser things. Um, there's a lot of resource represented here. Let's let God use us. Let's be surrendered. And so, Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this weekend, beginning with our teen challenge yesterday morning, our great opportunities last night to interact with our missionaries, to hear what you're doing around the, around the world and in people's lives. Thank you for Ed's great testimonial story today of how the gospel changes everything and how you've been at work in his life. Father, for those here this morning who have brokenness and hurt and maybe deep injustice, maybe things they've never told anybody about, I pray that you would just help them to cast their cares upon you. I pray that today would be a new beginning of freedom in their lives. Father, as a church, would you help us to be more aware of the world around us and the needs and more willing to be beyond wearing the uniform, but to be ready for duty at your command, our captain, even unto death, that our resources would be invested in the gospel and laying up treasure in heaven. Father, just to continue through your Holy Spirit to take the message today and to use it to mold us and shape us into the church you want us to be. It's in Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. Amen. Well, thanks for your good attention and for your time today. Ed is going to linger here. There might be some people that need to come and talk to Ed today. Otherwise, we, the Lord bless you as you go. I don't think the roads are slippery yet. We do need the chairs stacked up before you go. God bless you. Don't forget to visit the, the missionary tables that are out there. A couple of our missionaries have left, but there's tables to visit for information as well. God bless you.